Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, welcoming you to another edition of Canadians in Old Time Radio. From our Made in Canada file, we have an episode of The Queen's Men, which was aired during 1954. The episode is called Missing Persons Case, a.k.a. Andrew Weeks. I solemnly swear that I will faithfully, diligently, and impartially execute and perform the duties required of me as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and will well and truly obey and perform all lawful orders and instructions which I shall receive as such without fear, favor, or affection of or towards any person so help me God. The Queen's Men. For the first time, authentic stories of the world-famous Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Tales of men who for almost a hundred years have helped to keep peace in Canada. The Queen's Men. Queen's Men, true stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Names have been changed for family protection. And now transcribe The Queen's Men. Well, how do you new recruits look, Inspector? I'm always amazed the way most of the men turn out. Looking at that bunch today, you mightn't suspect there'll be a dozen good investigators out of them finally, but there will be. <laughs> always on the lookout for investigators, eh, Inspector? Well, I remember our situation during the war, when the force was really suffering from a loss of trained investigators. Left to join the armed forces, you know. Left us pretty badly crippled. Yeah, I guess so. You may not have the same recollection of it as I do. I was in the missing persons, C Division. In Vancouver. And as you know, a disappearance act sets in operation a tremendous portion of the machinery of the RCMP. But the force did pretty well at keeping up with missing persons during the war years, though, didn't it, Inspector? Yes, it did surprisingly well. 
I remember a case that came along at the very worst possible time. I wasn't on the case myself, had to pull out shortly after the initial report. But I remember getting the story roughed in later. A uh, missing person's case? Started out that way. Mm. Looked routine at first. But it turned out to have very dramatic developments. Mm. I was with Assistant Commissioner Tucker in his office at headquarters the morning he lost three of his best investigators all at one blow. He was feeling pretty disconsolate, to say the least. War is a dreadful thing, Inspector. Dreadful waste. Well, now, sir, those three men know how to look after themselves. They'll come out of it all right. Oh, I have no doubt they will, but what I mean is it's a waste of ability, of training. They're trained for private investigation here in Western Canada. They know the people, their attitudes, they know the terrain. They're thoroughly trained for exactly the job they've been doing. In the Army, they'll be, well, they'll be valuable, all right. But think of the time wasted teaching them new tricks and then teaching them the old ones again after it's all over. Yes, that's so. Of course, I'm being selfish, I realize that. What I'm really worried about is how my division is going to get along without them. Well, at any rate, your dogs aren't volunteering for war duty. If they could talk, you'd be sure they'd volunteer, all right. Our mounted police dogs would be welcome, too, I dare say. Well, Inspector, you'll be heading east in a few days. Yes, there's a job waiting for me. Then I'll be back. I hope things are going to be quiet around here for you until you get some new men. I doubt I'll get any. All the division are short-staffed, you know. We'll just have to make the best of it, I'm afraid. But if there has to be some excitement, I hope it's a nice, simple robbery or attempted assault. Anything but a missing person. There's been quite an outbreak of disappearances since the war started. Yes, I've been looking into the reasons for that. One of them is... Well, excuse me. Tucker speaking. Good morning. Is that Assistant Commissioner Tucker? Yes, speaking. Well, Commissioner, this is George Hayes Telford, the solicitor. Oh, yes, Mr. Telford. One of your clients in trouble? I think he might be. He might be in pretty bad trouble, Commissioner. You see, five days ago, he mysteriously disappeared. Oh, disappeared, did he? Now, Mr. Telford, are you sure he's to be classed among missing persons? What I mean is, have you looked into this yourself? Have you satisfied yourself he's not off on a fishing trip or on a bender? Oh, neither of those, Commissioner. Say, uh, you don't sound very happy. Well, I'm not. I'd like to have a good talk with you before we go to work on this. See if there isn't some simple way of tracing him. Uh, that would certainly suit me. I don't know the man at all. I received a notification of his disappearance from his wife. Have you acted for them in the past? Oh, wrote his will a couple of years ago, that's all. Then if you know him as casually as that, I doubt you can throw much light in his disappearance. Maybe you'd better send his wife in to see me, and we'll start from there. I'll do that, Commissioner. How soon do you want to see her? Right away, by all means. Send her in this afternoon. Right. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye. Well, that's a tough break, Commissioner. Sometimes I think I'm jinxed. Well, I mustn't complain. It's our job, Inspector, and short-staffed or no, we've got to do the job the best way we can. Please sit down, Mrs. Weeks. Thank you. You must be very upset, I know. I'll say I'm upset, Commissioner. We'll do everything in our power to locate your husband. Now, there probably isn't too much to worry about. We've found there are countless things that can happen. Cause a great deal of worry, but 
In nearly all cases, we find people safe and unharmed. Well, just so you find out who he's with. I don't care how safe he is. I just want to know if he's run off with some woman, that's all. You... you think there's a possibility of that, Mrs. Weeks? <laughs> there's a possibility of anything with that man. I mean, uh, is he in the habit of, uh, uh, would you say, had he some lady friends? I never know who his friends are. All I know is he can't be trusted. I see. Has your husband ever run afoul of the law, Mrs. Weeks? Not that I know of. Although it's a mystery to me, he hasn't. Why did you say that? Has he been carrying on uh, any activities that would suggest breaking of the law? Commissioner, I never did know what his activities were. He's always so busy lying to me that I can't sift out the truth from the lies anymore. Well, now, I'd better start from the beginning and get some of the background. His name is Alfred Linwood Weeks. And your address? 150 North Street. How long have you lived there? 17 years, ever since we were married. They've been 17 miserable years, Commissioner, and I should be glad I'm rid of him. I just want to know who he's with. Excuse me a minute. Yes, Commissioner? I'd like to see uh, Detective Corporal Hayward in my office right away. Corporal's down at provincial headquarters right now, Commissioner. Said he'd be about half an hour. Oh, I see. Well, as soon as he comes back, send him in here, will you? Yes, sir. Thanks. Now then, Mrs. Weeks, tell me some more about your husband. Sorry, I wasn't there when you wanted me, Commissioner. Well, I'll give you the details, Corporal. It's a missing persons case, and I'm putting you on it. A man called Weeks, Alfred Linwood Weeks. Ever hear of him? Well, I don't think so, sir. You might have a look in the files to start. He sounds pretty unsavory, from his wife's version at any rate. Well, when did he disappear, Commissioner? Five days ago. Reason I called you, I wanted you to hear her version of him. Not much love lost there, I can tell you. Or possible desertion. I think so. Well, here's the outline. He's been working for Jordan's Electric for 17 years, since his marriage. Has lived in the same house here in Vancouver all that time. Always takes his vacation first two weeks in July. So five days ago, on July 1st, he and his wife set out by car. Left about noon. Oh. That evening arrived at a farm owned by friends of theirs, just outside the town of Rodney. Where were they heading? Yes, that's an interesting point. I was getting to that. Mrs. Weeks said their destination was not disclosed to her by her husband. He merely said it was a surprise. What do you make of that, Haywood? Well, just offhand, looks as though he may have planned to disappear and wanted to keep the end of the trail a blank. Just what occurred to me. Well, the people at the farm, name of Anderson, put them up for the night. They didn't have much room, so it was decided Mrs. Weeks and Mrs. Anderson would share the one bedroom. Anderson would sleep in the granary, and Weeks on the living room sofa. Uh -huh. They sat up quite late, talking, and they went to their respective beds. Mrs. Weeks says that about six the next morning, she thought she heard someone attempt to start their car without success. And when they arose, Weeks was gone. His car was still in the lane. And what'd they do then? Sat around for four days, waiting. And yesterday, Mrs. Weeks returned to Vancouver by bus. Today, she contacted her lawyer, and he made the report to me. And there's been no word at all from Weeks? No word. And she seems to have mighty little information about his activities. Well, I'd better start with Anderson, don't you think, Commissioner? Yes, I'd say so. But uh, check the files first and see if you can dig up anything about Weeks. Use whatever men and resources you need, Hayward, but try to crack this case as fast as you can. Yeah, I know your situation, Commissioner. We have to tighten our schedule. 
Speed up on everything. Well, I'll work around the clock if necessary. And keep me posted, will you? Constable Barlow, come in. I've been through the fingerprints in the photo file, Corporal. Had a couple of the men double-checking. Can't find a thing on Weeks. Mm. I don't seem to have anything here either. And yet, you know, that name sounds familiar. You know how you learn to register a name with a vague connection sometimes? You got some kind of connection in mind? Well, I seem to have something. Well, it might give us an idea of which direction to start looking in. Well, just as soon as I get close, I lose it. Weeks? Weeks? Well, we'd better not waste time on it. Time is valuable these days. We'd better head for the town of Rodney and... Uh... Oh, uh... RCMP headquarters, Detective Corporal Hayward. It's Detective Miller of the city police, Corporal. Oh, yes, yes, I've been trying to reach I you. I got your message. I went straight to the files, and I have some information on Weeks. Don't know how valuable it is to you, but... You got uh... something? Well, good. My investigation shows that Weeks has been strongly suspected of issuing a worthless check. Bad check, eh? Check? That's it. Uh, go on, Miller. Well, he was instructed last week by one of our men to report here at the station on July 7th. That's tomorrow. At which time we plan to have a witness available for identification. Now, that's about all we've got at the moment, Corporal. Well, it's better than nothing. Gives us a good indication of the kind of man we're after. I'll send someone down to see you. Get all the details, and right now I'm heading out of town. Well, good luck, Corporal. Thanks. I'll get in touch with you tomorrow. Perhaps by then you'll have turned something up. We'll do our best, Corporal. Yeah, goodbye. You know something about that check, Barlow? Well, I just heard about it. Detective Simmons was the one who got the first lead. Then contact Simmons right away. And tell him to get down and see Miller of the city police and fill in the story for him. Right. Then meet me out front in ten minutes. I'll have a car waiting headed for Rodney. Now then, Mr. Anderson, uh, you say you were not very well acquainted with Weeks. No, I hardly knew the man. Didn't like him especially either. Yet you invited him to be a guest in your home. Well, they came dropping in on us. We like to be neighborly, you know. Say, why don't you officers come on in the house? I'll have the wife make a cup of tea. Well, thanks. We'd like to, but we can't take the time right now. I'd just like to know how you became acquainted with Mr. and Mrs. Weeks. Well, we met Alf alone first. He came by one day asking about old Ollie Marchek down the other side of town. Oh, what about Marchek? Well, he's a real old guy. One of these old-age pensioners. Lonely old guy, you know. Never seemed to have any friends. And when Weeks came along and said he was an insurance investigator... What did he say he was? Insurance investigator. Said there might be a big legacy in store for Ollie. Only he didn't want to get old Ollie's hopes up. So he was investigating him through his friends. Well, like I say, Ollie never had many friends. And we knew him a bit. So we told Weeks what we could about him. Hmm. So he told you he was an insurance investigator? Sure. Well, wasn't he? Well, not to our knowledge. You taking all this down, Barlow? Yes, Corporal. Now, Mr. Anderson, uh, what kind of questions did Weeks ask you about this, uh, this Ollie Marchek? Oh, all kinds of questions. How he lived, what he did, what time he went in and out. Funny kind of questions. Yoo-hoo, I know. Oh, there's the wife. Are those men you're with, Mountie? Yes, Ellie. Nothing to be afraid of. Oh, I'm not afraid. It's, it's just that they're wanted on the phone. Vancouver's calling. Oh, 
Hello? Hayward here. It's Miller of the city police, Corporal. Yeah? Well, how'd you find me? Your man Simmons told me I could reach you there. We've dug up something further. I thought you might like to know about it while you're still in Rodney. Well, let's have it. Well, it might be just coincidence, but we've located a soldier from Camp Bartlett who says there's a fellow there been trying to persuade him to assist in a robbery out there in Rodney. A robbery? Well, did he say who they were going to rob? Well, of course, he denies any connection with it at all. Just that he was approached about it. Said he turned down the offer. Claims it was to rob some old-age pensioner out there. Marchek? What's that? Did he say the old man's name was Marchek? No, 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 no. He didn't give his name. As I said, uh, maybe just a coincidence. No, no, no. I don't think so. I think the trail is narrowing. Where's the soldier now? Uh, He's back at camp. He made his confession last month when he was picked up for disorderly conduct. Well, let's hope we can get a hold of him again. And thanks for your assistance, Miller. I think we're on to something bigger than just a missing person. In just a moment, we'll return for the second part of this true story of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, The Queen's Men. And now we return you to The Queen's Men. Sorry to keep you waiting, Barlow. Uh, that's all right, sir. I can see you now. Come on in. Thanks. Sit down. Corporal Hayward asked me to come in and make my report to you before joining him again at Rodney. He sent you up to Camp Bartlett to question that soldier, didn't he? Yes, sir. The corporal is staying right there in Rodney, questioning the residents and seeing what he can pick up. Well, between you, you've picked up an amazing amount in three days. What about this soldier now? Well, his name is Wilkins. I think he's telling a true story, Commissioner. First of all, he claimed that the man who approached him about the robbery was not called Weeks. He wasn't? But he was obviously using an assumed name. Wilkins identified this photograph of Weeks as the same man. Let's see it. Hmm. Where'd you get this picture, Barlow? Got it from Mrs. Weeks before going up to camp. Well, that was a good piece of work. Now, uh, this soldier, Wilkins... Does he say why it was that Weeks chose him as a prospective partner in crime? Were they friends? No, but they'd been introduced. Wilkins once did a short stretch for robbery, but claims he's now going straight. I think he is. However, it gave Weeks the idea of a possible association. I see. He says Weeks had the robbery well planned, knew the old man's every habit, and said all Wilkins would have to do was sit in a car outside the house and keep watch while he, Weeks would go inside and rob old Marchick of his life savings. Well, now, I have your first report here. Apparently, Weeks was posing as an insurance investigator and making plenty of inquiries about the old man. Yes, sir. So, I guess your next step is only Marchick. That's right, sir. I believe Corporal Hayward is keeping an eye on him, finding out what he can from the local residents, and plans to interview him when I get back to Rodney. Then you'll want to be going. Goodbye. Good luck. Barlow? Yes, sir? Slow down at the bend. Right, Corporal. Uh, 
That's Marchak's house up the road there. Hmm. Not much of a house, is it? <laughs> Doesn't look as though it's worth robbing. Well, it's my guess Weeks falls into the coward's class. He'd rather deal with a helpless old man for smaller returns than pick on someone his own size. Yes, I guess you're right. <laughs> Did you ever see such mud? Yeah, this clay is plenty bad when there's been the kind of rain that we've had this season. Yeah, we'd have been stuck just outside of town if we'd brought the car. You uh, didn't get a chance to tell me the result of your investigations the last couple of days, Corporal. Well, I didn't get a thing on weeks. No one seems to have heard of him except the Andersons. And nobody's seen him this past week. No, not a sign of a stranger. But I did get something of interest from the local hardware merchant. He says that Ollie Marchek bought a shotgun from him last year, and that on the night of July 2nd of this year, that's the day Weeks disappeared, Marchek returned the gun to him, saying he could never learn to shoot it. Just last week, huh? The second. But the interesting thing is, quite aside from the timing, that the gun showed signs of having been recently fired, and the stock was damaged. You don't say. Hmm. And yet the old man said he couldn't fire it. Well, that's what he said. Well, here we are. Marchak should be in at this time of day. Apparently his habits never vary. Hmm. Except perhaps on the 2nd of July. Well, let's find out, Corporal. This man, what is his name? Weeks. Alfred Weeks. I, I, I keep to myself. I like others to do the same. I, I wish I could help you with whatever it is you are searching for, but, but as, as I cannot, you you will perhaps excuse me. I, I plan to do some gardening. Well, we're sorry to keep you from your gardening, Mr. Marchette, but uh, there are a few more questions. But I, I told you, I, I told you, I, I, I know nothing. I'm told that you had some windows broken in your house recently. Windows? Why, why, yes. How did they get broken? I, I, I don't know, officer. It, it happened one day while I was in town. When I returned, they, they were broken. That's all I know. What, what can broken windows? Have and to you do have with? no idea how they were broken? No, no idea. When were they broken? Oh, it was, oh, sometime last month, I think. Or last week? Perhaps. Well, I. I think it was before. The carpenter in town said he replaced the windows for you on July 3rd, last Wednesday. Oh. Yes, well, it... Yes, it, it was last week. Do you own a shotgun, Mr. Marchek? No. No, no, officer, I, I, I have no gun. You did own a shotgun, though, at one time. Yes, yes, but they, it, it was stolen last winter. Stolen? I see. You didn't report its theft to the police? No. Nor your broken windows? No, I... I did not want to bother the police. Well, then, we won't keep you any longer now, Mr. Marchek. You've been very helpful. Thank you. Come along, Barlow. What's the idea, Corporal? You were just starting to get somewhere with him. I've already got there, I think, Barlow. You think then that, uh... Yes, that Marchak murdered Weeks. Mm. He did seem pretty scared. And that false statement about the shotgun seems to indicate pretty strongly that he has something to hide. That and not reporting the broken windows to the authorities. 
That kind of vandalism is always reported, unless there's good reason. So, what's your plan now? Well, next we find the body. If I'm right, that is. We'll keep watch on the place until 5 o'clock. He goes into town then for his mail. The mail clerk says that all he ever gets is his monthly pension check, but that he calls in every day just in hope. Sad thing, then. Yes, it is. Well, as soon as he's out of sight, we'll look the property over. It doesn't take long to spot a fresh grave. Barlow, there's our man. I'm afraid so. Nasty feeling sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> when we meet with a final success. Shot through the head. I have no doubt he asked for it, but it's murder nonetheless. Shall we pick up Monchek at the post office? No, no, I'll wait for him here. He'll be back. You better get into town, though, and notify headquarters to take care of the body. You sure you don't want me to stay around in case you have trouble with Monchek? No, no, I won't have any trouble with him. I think he'll make a full statement. Corporal, you have my congratulations. I don't believe there's another case on record of the location of a missing person and the solving of a murder in such a short period of time. Thanks, sir. Oh, I had fine assistance from the men and the city police. That's Marchek's statement you have there, is it? Yes. I had no difficulty in getting it once he knew we'd found the body. Now, the way he tells it is about 6.30 on the morning of July the 2nd, someone began throwing stones through his windows. Mm -hmm. and threatening him with various forms of punishment if he didn't open his door. I believe uh, Barlow said one of the stones struck him and bruised him badly. Yeah, and of course he was badly frightened. He picked up the shotgun as he saw his assailant attempting to enter the house through the side window. Without a thought, he fired at the man's head as it appeared in the opening, and the force of the shot forced the intruder backwards. Then he went outside to investigate. Not immediately. He was frozen with terror and didn't know whether the man had an accomplice. He remained inside for about a half an hour and then went out and found Weeks dead outside the window. Well, it's a pretty shocking thing for a decent living old man. Yes, and he's been living in fear ever since. Seems even relieved that the suspense is over. He dug a shallow grave, didn't even know enough to disguise it, and went about his business. He offered no resistance to arrest, I suppose. No, none at all. You know, sir, the evidence all supports Marchek's contention that he killed in self-defense that Weeks was entering his home with the avowed intention of robbing him of his meager life savings. Yeah, there are good grounds for pleading self-defense. Being old and infirm, he had no way of resisting other than by the use of a shotgun. However, the matter should have been reported immediately to the police. Yeah, that's so, of course. The law of protecting one's property is clear on this point, but Marchek made every effort to conceal the fact that he shot and killed a man. Well, now, Corporal, let's not waste our time with a projected trail this morning. Marchek will be dealt with fairly in due time. Meanwhile, there's a war on. Yes, sir. Detective Corporal Haywood really had a grand slam that time. A fine investigator, top-notch. What about the old man? Marchek? Well... After due and careful consideration of all the evidence, 
The Attorney General directed that Marchek be charged with manslaughter. Manslaughter, huh? <laughs> How'd he make out? Well, as I recall, due to the age of the accused and the circumstances under which Weeks met his death, the charge was later dismissed. The whole affair had quite an effect, I think, on criminals who are eyeing old-age pensioners as a source of easy money. <laughs> I should think it would have. And this was done at a critical period in the force, when the added demands of wartime regulations plus depleted ranks made one proud of the achievements of every officer. Queen's Men, authentic stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Music under the direction of Sidney Torch. Script and adaptation under the supervision of John Adaskin. Produced and directed by Harry Allen Towers. From our Canadians Abroad file, we have an episode of Texaco Town starring Eddie Cantor. The air date was October 4th, 1936. And the featured Canadian actors are the Toronto-born Bobby Breen and the Winnipeg-born Deanna Durbin. The episode is called Advertising. Welcome to Texaco Town. And again, the 45,000 dealers who serve fire cheap gasoline and other Texaco products present his honor the mayor, Eddie Cantor. Here he is. Hello, everybody. Hello, James. Say, Mayor, I called your house a little while ago, and they told me you went to the hospital. Don't be alarmed, Jimmy. I only went to visit a friend. Serious? No, you see, he had his girl out riding, and it was raining. Mm -hmm. His car skidded around a corner, smashed a lamppost, broke a fire plug, crashed through a fence, went into a ditch and turned over, and as the girl crawled out of the car, she said, Boy, that's what I call a kiss. Oh, by the way, yep. here's $10. I'm kissing goodbye. Yep. You got me again today with those Yankees. Oh, yes, James. And take a telegram to the Giants, will you? All right, Eddie. What do you want to say? New York Giants, New York City. Yeah. Why don't you get in touch with Rudy Valley's orchestra? Rudy Valley's orchestra? Why? Well, the Giants are having so much trouble with the New York Yankees, they might have a better chance playing the Connecticut Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Eddie? Yep. Eddie, I want to thank you for giving me this part-time job as your secretary. Oh, forget it, Jimmy. It's nothing at all. Well, still, I'm awfully grateful to you because it gives me a chance to run the service station, too. You're a real pal. Jimmy, it's nothing at all. Say, incidentally, Eddie, you didn't tell me how much you're going to pay me. I keep telling you, Jimmy, it's nothing at all. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> now, let's discuss it later, James. Yeah. Tonight, we've got it broadcast from station TEX. Say, that's right. Let's take a taxi over there, eh? No, no, we've got time to walk. Let's walk. Nice, right. nice night out, isn't it? Sure, well. You know, I just found out that taxi drivers manufacture our gasoline. What do you mean? Well, they put gasoline in their tanks and step on the starter. Yes. And isn't that what makes the taxi go? Makes the taxi go. <laughs> 
You know, Eddie, I love the way you sneak in a mention of the product all the time. Always advertising. Well, advertising is a natural thing, Jimmy. Everybody does it. Do you know that every time you kiss a girl, it's an ad? Oh, that's silly. What kind of advertising is kissing? Mouth-to-mouth advertising. Mouth-to-mouth. <laughs> and believe me, it gets quick results. Oh, I don't know about that. Look how long you had to advertise for a boy. Over 20 years, and what did it get you? A very good salary, Jimmy. A very good salary. <laughs> What? Eddie, sometimes advertising is misleading. How do you mean? Well, don't forget, the chicken lays the eggs, but the rooster does all the crowing. Well, Jimmy, you're the rooster on this program because you do most of the crowing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's because your jokes have been laying the eggs. (laughs) Well, I may lay an egg now and then, but it certainly helps to feather your nest. (laughs) You know, Eddie, I still say that there's too much advertising today. Too much? Why? Well, I've got an uncle who's in the cheese business. He never advertises, and he's doing all right. Well, if he's in the cheese business, he doesn't have to advertise. People get wind of it. Oh. Now, now, here, Jimmy, here, here's the radio station. Eddie, look. What? There's a little boy standing at the microphone. Is that Bobby? No, no, it's a strange kid. And he's crying. Wait, wait a minute. Come here, Sonny. What's the matter? Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why are you crying? What are you crying for? Listen, Sonny, I wish you'd answer me and stop wasting time. There are millions of people listening in. Millions there are? Yes, what are you crying about? I'm lost. I want to get to my father's clothing store located at 312 Main Street. Walk up one flight and save $10 on men's suits and overcoats. Alterations free. Open evenings until 9 o'clock. Sale now going on. Get out of here. How do you like that for advertising? Boy, that's advertising. Oh, here are, Jack. Jack Renard, let's rehearse the new song for tonight's broadcast, will you? Hard attractor, who's the greatest little actor? I refer to nobody but love. He's the greatest benefactor that we ever knew. Here are just a few things he can do. Love marches on and meets a lonely boy, a lonely girl, and takes them by the hand and marches on. Together, love marches on. And then he leads them to a rendezvous and says it's up to you and marches on. Then on a certain Sunday morning, he even plays their wedding song. When they go honeymooning, he goes right along. Love marches on until he finds a nest that they request and says I've done my best and marches on. What funny things love can do. Here we are in a railroad station. Over there is a boy, and sitting opposite is a girl. They have no intentions of flirting with each other, but it won't be long now. Let's eavesdrop on them. Uh Uh-huh. There she goes. Excuse me. Do you know whether the 515 is on time? What did I tell you? 200 porters in the station, and she's got to ask him whether the 515 is on time. Let's hear what he says. The 515? Uh, well, you see, you know, uh, I just... Look, look, look. The big ox is being uh, flustered. Look at him, look at him. Uh, well... By the time he gets it out, they'll both miss the train. You see, I'm a stranger here, and... Uh... Listen to her, a stranger. Eight years, she's been taking the same train, and the father is the conductor. Oh, these women. Oh. Well, I'm pretty sure the train is on time, miss. Are you alone? Yes, I'm all alone. I never travel much. You see, I'm a homegirl. Yeah, homegirl is right. Anybody's home at all. <laughs> I'll bet ten to one he's going to ask her how far she's going. Well, if I'm not too personal, would you mind telling me how far you're going? What did I tell you? I never saw it to fail. 
But I'm going to visit some relatives in Chicago. Here's your train right here. Let me carry your bags for you. How do you like that? At home, he won't lift up an ashtray for his mother. Now he wants to carry 11 bags. <laughs> well, I suppose this is goodbye. Goodbye? Didn't you say you were going to Chicago? Yes. Well, that's where I'm going, too. Oh, if I was near enough, I'd sock him. The big fat head has a ticket to Buffalo in his pocket, and all of a sudden, he's going to Chicago. Love marches on. <laughs> Here it is six months later. The same boy and girl ordering dinner in a tea room. What do you have, dear? Oh, uh, nothing. I'm not hungry. She's not hungry. For three days, she's been starving herself just to make an impression on him. But the minute she gets some hooks, she'll eat like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Darling. Darling, I wonder if you would... Don't uh... say it. Don't say it. Yes? Darling. Would you? Of course I'll marry you. Did he ask her to marry him? All he wanted to say was, would you mind passing the mustard? <laughs> oh, darling, I'm so happy I could jump for joy. Yeah, jump for joy. He'd like to jump off a roof. Oh, sweetheart, I never dreamed you would propose to me. This is so sudden. She never dreamed. She was so sure she was going to land the poor fish. For three weeks, she's been paying a preacher just to follow them around. <laughs> Love marches on. <clears throat> have passed. They're married and are living happily in their little love nest. Let's peek in on them. Listen, you. I'm going to the club tonight. Again? Well, you might at least stay home one evening with me. Yeah? Yeah. Yep, this is what is known as happy married life. Well, I gotta relax sometimes. What do you think I do at the office all day? For six months, his boss has been asking him the same question. <laughs> well, you might take me off for some fun. I slave and work my fingers to the bone in this kitchen from morning to night. Poor slave. She plays bridge until five o'clock, stops at the delicatessen, goes in the kitchen, grabs a can opener, and his dinner is ready. Oh, stop beefing, will you? I'm sorry I ever married you. Look what I gave up. I gave up my family and my friends. She gave up her family. They threw her out of the house when she was 14. And she didn't give up her friends. They moved them all to Alcatraz. <laughs> Well, look what I gave up for you. Yeah, look what he gave up. Saturday night crap games and afternoons in the pool room. <laughs> How can you talk to me like that? Didn't you know? Why, darling, you mean? Yes. I've been knitting this tidy garment for our little pet. Oh, snooky boogie. Oh. <laughs> He's hooked again. Love marches on. Love marches on. And he's a lonely boy, a lonely girl. And takes them by the hand and marches on. Together, love marches on. And then he leads them to a rendezvous and says it's up to you and marches on. Then on a certain Sunday morning, he even plays their wedding song. When they go honeymooning, he goes right along. Love marches on until he finds a nest that they request and says, I've done my best and marches on. Folks here in Texaco Park, I want to announce that Jack Renard and his Texaco Orchestra and the Fireman's Greek Club take you on a trip to the accompaniment of... I'm an old
Yes, Mr. Cantor. What's that noise? It's the children, sir. Master Bobby is upstairs with little Deanna. I think they're rehearsing. Rehearsing? Yes, sir. You know, since you took him to see Romeo and Juliet, he's been acting all over the place. He has, has he? I'll go up there and take a look. Bobby! Oh, What's curvy name, knock a patch on portal? Begone, Violet, or I would fairly call my own man. Well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Oh, hello, Daddy. Hello, Mayor Cantor. Uh, hello, Deanna. Uh, Bobby, what's this I hear about you rehearsing? Well, Daddy, you're always talking to Uncle Jimmy about advertising. Yes? And, you see, Bobby got an idea to advertise Texaco. We're going to play Romeo and Juliet. Yes, I'll be Romeo Oil and Deanna's Julietta. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm the star and she's the co-star. Why do you call her the co-star? Well, I figured it takes a co-star to advertise it right. Oh. <laughs> you get it, Mr. Cantor? Texaco star? I get it, honey. Now, who else is in it? Well, I got a part for Jack Renard, but I don't know if you like it. Why not? What do you want Renard to play? The balcony. <laughs> the balcony, Bobby. How many times have I told you not to say Renard is fat? I'm ashamed of you. I'm sorry. Besides, Renard can't appear in this play. He's helping out in the play of the auditorium. Renard is playing the title role. What's the name of the play? Boulder Dam. <laughs> oh, there's a lady here. I should say Boulder Don. Oh, that's a pretty bad joke, Mr. Mayor. What? <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. What, what are you laughing at? I'm laughing because she thinks that's bad. Can you imagine her complaining, Daddy? Thanks, Bobby. She only hears you on Sundays. I have to live with you. <laughs> That's fine talk for a son. Get back to Romeo and Juliet now. Come on, let's rehearse. I've got the play here, but Bobby's made a few changes. Changes? Bobby, are you trying to improve on Shakespeare? No, but if we did it the way he wrote it, Deanna couldn't be Juliet. Why not? Well, look at this line. Juliet says, My ears have yet not drunk a hundred words. Well? Deanna's got big ears. But they're certainly not loving cups. Is that so? Well, my ears aren't half as big as your mouth. Oh, yeah? Wait till I see you outside. Oh, uh, what are you doing? Here, here, here. Stop the fighting, Bobby. You're supposed to be Romeo, the great lover. And Deanna's Juliet. I hate him. Please, children, let's try one of the scenes. Go ahead, Bobby. Start. Start where Romeo is in the orchard. All right, but I'm still sore. Oh, sure. But soft. What light through yonder window breaks? It is the east. And Juliet is a big dope. Yeah! Wait, 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 Bobby, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, what is that kind of talk? You mustn't call her name. What's in her name? I don't by any other name would still be Deanna. Quiet, quiet. I'm going home. Wait a minute, dear. Bobby, you apologize to Deanna. That's not in the play. I don't care. I'm putting it in the play. Oh, now you're trying to improve on Shakespeare, huh? <laughs> if he won't say he's sorry, I won't be Juliet. All right, I'm sorry. That's better. Now let's play the last scene. Romeo thinks Juliet has poisoned herself. And he takes real poison. Okay, but I've got to have some poison. All right, use this glass of water. No, I want some ice cream. Strawberry and chocolate mix. Two quarts. Wait a minute, two quarts of ice cream? Sure. Didn't you tell me that too much ice cream is poison for my sister? <laughs> That's <laughs> ridiculous. Look, here, let me show you how to play the scene. I'll show you real acting. Here's the book, Mayor Cantor. No, I don't need it. Listen. Eyes, look your last. Arms, take your last embrace. Here's to my love. I drink the poison. Oh, true apothecary, thy drugs are quick. Thus, with a kiss, I die. <laughs> oh, Daddy. I see, my son, you're touched by the beauty of those lines. 
No. Was it my acting that made you cry? No, it's not that. Then why are you crying? When I started to play Romeo, Leanna made me wear her shoes and they're killing me. Oh. <laughs> you did it fine, man. But I don't like that ending. No? You don't like sad endings? I don't either, Daddy. Would this be good? Deanna knows a swell song about sweethearts. Make her sing it. Gee, that's a good suggestion, Bobby. Where did you learn such grand showmanship? I learned it from radio's greatest showman. Thanks. Yes, sir. I listen to Major Bowes every Thursday. Quiet. Go ahead, Deanna. All right, now, Romeo, have you got an answer for your Juliet? You bet I have, Daddy. Love like love. 
You know, kids, it gives me a real thrill to see you two sweethearts. There's nothing more beautiful than youth and love. Sweet romance makes you feel like you are floating on clouds. And even the most commonplace things assume a rose-colored hue. Young love, beautiful love. I hope you two will always remain sweethearts, because the minute you get married... Park your carcass. Say, listen. Yeah. How do you know where is that, Eddie Scanton? What are you doing here? I don't know. The mayor sent for me. Says he got to see me. Very unimportant. Wait a minute. I'm right here. Park your carcass. Tell me, where, where have you been? I just come from the gymnasium. Yep. You know, I'm in training. I got to make myself strong enough to be the president. Wait a minute. Strong enough to be the president? Yeah, I read in the paper that the man who's elected president got to carry 36 states. Yep. <laughs> Oh, heaven, heaven help us all if you're elected president. Ah, uh, what do you worry about? When I'm the president, I'm going to make you vice president. Oh, because you, because you like me. No, because that's one way to keep you quiet for four years. Yep. <laughs> don't be silly, Parker Caucus. We've got a good vice president now, Mr. Garner. Yeah, but I don't think if he's going to be the vice president long. Well, why not? Because everywhere I go, I hear people saying, knocks, knocks. Yep. It's going, to, it's going to be very hard for anyone to vote for you for president, believe nah, me. No, no, it's easy. Why? All they got to do is put an X beside my name. That's my slogan. What's your slogan? X marks the spot where you park your carcass on the ballot. Yep. <laughs> ballot? What do you think? Ballot? You don't even know what a ballot is. Who don't? A ballot is what you shoot from a gun. No, 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 no. No, that, that's a bullet. Don't tell me. A bullet is a little bull. No, no, a little bull. <laughs> A little bull. Why don't you listen to what I say? Oh, no. That's a lot of bull. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you that bullet and ballot doesn't gel. Gel? That's what Jack Benny sells. No, 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 no. That's jello. Oh, oh, oh. What's the matter? Something hurts you? Yep, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> What's the use? A man can't stand here and talk to an idiot all day. Yes, I can. I ain't got no place to go. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine talk for a presidential candidate. With your brain, what could you do if you were elected president? I got an idea to bring back prosperity. How? I'm going to change the whole map of the United States. Change the map? Park your carcass. I'm 100% American, and the old map is good enough for me. Boy, if I had a map like yours, I'd shoot myself. Get away from that. <laughs> You'd shoot yourself. Never mind that. Let me hear your crazy plan. Well, first place is... Yes? New York is too far away from California. Yeah. So I'm going to put New York where it's California, and California where New York is. Yeah. Are you mad? They'll still be the same distance apart. Sure, but suppose a fellow in New York wants to go to California. Yes. Just stays home and there he is. Yeah, yeah wait a minute, wait a minute, wise guy. But, but suppose a fellow lives in California and he wants to stay in California. That's easy, then he goes to New York. Yep. No, wait, think of 
the railroad fare a man will have to spend in order to stay home. No, no, with my idea, she's going to be no railroad fare. How, how's that? Instead of a man who's going to travel to another state, yep. we're going to bring the state right to him. Wait, let me get this straight. You mean you're thinking of putting a state on wheels and bringing it to a person? Why not? They've been doing it for years. Moving states on wheels? Sure, don't you never hear of wheeling West Virginia? No. Now, what else are you going to do with the map? Well, with my system, nobody's going to be sick. Nobody's going to be sick? No, sir. I'm going to move Chicago Hill right over to Baltimore, M.D. Yep. <laughs> Except, go ahead. Keep on, keep on. Go ahead. Well, that's not all. No, what else? I figured out where the names of the states and cities is too long. Yep. We're going to push them all together. You mean you take states like Delaware and Washington, put them together, and make Delaware wash? You got it, boy. I'll show you how we could all make money from how? that. How? Well... You take the first part of Philadelphia. That's Phil. Yeah, and Utah. Utah, that's you. And Carolina. That's Cass. Push them all together, what do you got? Phil, you Cass. Right. Now take Texas and Colorado. Push them together. That's Texaco. There you are. Fill your car with Texaco. How am I doing? <laughs> well, I, I still don't see how that silly idea will balance the budget. <laughs> don't worry about the budget. When I'm the president, I take out all the money from the treasury... And I give it to the people to spend. But it's ridiculous. It'll make a hole in the mint. Yeah, but that'll be a lifesaver for the country. Get up! Ladies and gentlemen, Texaco Town has a celebration tonight. Fifteen years ago, Mayor Cantor introduced a song which became world famous. Tonight he repeats the number. And any of you who remember it are invited to join in. There's a fruit store on our street It's run by a Greek And he keeps good things to eat But you should hear him speak When you ask him anything Never answers no He just yeses you to death And as he takes your dough He tells you yes We have no bananas We have no bananas today We string beans and onions Cabbages and scallions And all kinds of fruit And say We have a no Fashion tomato Long Island potato But yes We have no bananas We have no bananas today Yes We have no bananas We have no bananas today We've Roosevelt and Landon and Townsend, who's planned on a pension for the old and gray. The winner will be a dark horse if you vote for park your car course. So, yes, we have no bananas. We have no bananas today. We're glad you came to Texaco Town. And don't forget, during the week, stop in and see the man who makes this program possible. Your neighborhood Texaco dealer. Say I sent you, huh? And remember, I love to spend each Sunday with you as friend to friend. I'm sorry it's true. I'm telling you. Just how I feel. Good night. Betty Cantor and Texaco Town will come to you again next Sunday evening at the same hour. Thanks so much for being with me.
and consider coming back again next week. Until then, bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking. <laughs>